Here at Connection Point, our unchanging mission is to connect people to Jesus and each other, and we're committed to doing this beyond the walls of our building. Through your efforts, Connection Point is reaching more people than ever before in more places than ever before. So what are some of the ways we've seen God move through Connection Point over the last year in our community, our world, and the new digital world? In our community, we've cared for and trained 3,600 children and students. And in 2018 and 2019, we've baptized 587 new believers into faith in Christ. Over 300 of you volunteered to serve 150 families through the Holiday Project, providing over 7,000 toys and clothes to children in need for Christmas. We baked and donated over 1,400 pies to bless our teachers on Pie Day. Together, we donated almost $21,000 in books, tools, and equipment to our schools through Project Classroom. And we've helped 100 families pay off $375,000 in debt through our financial coaching and classes. Throughout the world, we've invested over $1 million in missions, efforts, and partnerships. 150 of you went on 15 trips to six countries this past year. Seven Connection Point members are currently serving as full-time missionaries with five more preparing to enter the mission field. We're supporting 26 partners serving 20 people groups in 16 different countries. We've helped build two facilities and plant 362 churches through our partnerships. And you're sponsoring 360 children, providing them with daily food, clothes, education, and a hope for the future in Christ. In the new world of digital, People have viewed our Bible teaching messages 745,000 times over the last year. We're building spiritual relationships with online viewers in five different states and have viewers from 43 states and 23 countries, and we're just getting started. We've even seen three online viewers travel across the country to be baptized here at Connection Point. As we continue pursuing greater things, we're changing the world locally, globally, and digitally. Through your faithful support, we'll continue and increase our investment in the greater things that God is doing now. So how can you be a part of what God is doing through Connection Point? Give. It's your generosity that enables us to invest in reaching people here in Indiana and all across the globe. Pray. Pray daily and specifically for our efforts. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools we have as Christians, and your prayers help us expand God's kingdom. And go. Serve with a ministry here on campus, a local partner, go on a mission trip, or share what we're doing digitally. Be the hands and feet of Christ. We can't wait to see what God has planned for us in 2020. Join us as we reach people we've never reached before, connecting people to the hope and life of Jesus. Well, church family, I am so proud of you guys and what God is doing through you, through us. If you're praying, if you're serving, if you're giving, all those things that we're celebrating are happening because of God working through your obedience. And this series, Changemakers, is really about encouraging you. My hope is to be a good coach and for everyone who's really on the team to say, way to go, big pat on the back, look at what God is doing. And maybe you're here and you're not yet on the team and this series is a great chance for you to see what is Connection Point all about? How is it changing the world? We all wanna make the world a better place and here's what we learned last week. When you attach yourself to a great purpose, it propels you to greatness. 
We learn that you can attach your life to a purpose bigger than yourself. And the greater purpose that you attach yourself to, the greater legacy and fulfillment you will experience. We learn that when you're going through pain, the way out is the path of purpose. When you're going through prosperity and you start to get apathetic, the way out is the path of purpose. And so we asked ourselves, what is the greatest purpose that we could attach ourselves to? And here's what we see from the word of God and through the life of Jesus. The greatest purpose is connecting people to Jesus and to each other. Why is that? Well, because Jesus is almighty God who made us. And every human being has been separated from God by this thing that God calls sin or evil. Not only the sins that we've done, but the evils around us in the world have separated this world from God. Jesus came as God into this world to build a bridge back to heaven. And so the greatest purpose that you can attach yourself to is this great mission of fixing what's broken in humanity, reconnecting humanity back to God. This gives people freedom from shame and guilt in this life. It gives them peace and purpose. It also gives them eternal life. And so this is actually our mission statement as a church. Why do we exist? We exist to connect people to Jesus, his life-saving, life-changing power, and to connect people to other believers who will help them know how to live this new life. Well, how do we go about this as a church? There's hundreds of things we do almost every week, but there's four primary channels or four primary expressions of this one heart. The first is what we are experiencing right now in our community. This is the local church started here in Brownsburg and now reaching people all around Hendricks County and into Indianapolis. This includes everything we do here on the weekends. It includes the discipleship of our students and children throughout the week. This includes things like the Holiday Project that you can sign up in the lobby today to be part of. The Holiday Project is where we identify about 150 families in our community, not in our church, who are in need financially, and they can't have a great Christmas, but they're people who are really trying their hardest at life, and we identify those families, and we shower them with Christmas gifts and with new coats and with pajamas for the kiddos. We do all sorts of things right here in our community. Another expression of this same heart is the way we are raising the next generation, that we realize our kids, our grandkids, they're the ones who are going to be on this stage preaching. They're the ones who are going to be on the mission field. They're the, going to be the ones supporting the missionaries in 15, 20, 30 years. And so our next generation is an expression of this same heart. Missions. This church has a legacy of missions going back over 100 years. This year we've supported 26 missions partners all around the world. And we send out on average every year more than a million dollars to support missionaries and to reach people who don't speak our language, who don't dress like us, who, who live in different cultures than us. And right now we've got a fourth expression of this exact same heart. None of these are in competition. These all complement each other. And this fourth expression is digital. The reality that at our 1115 service, there will be about 500 people watching it live from all around the world. And then there will be somewhere between 6,000 and 20,000 people who will watch the message after the live during the course of the week. And so here's what I've learned as I've hung out with many of you and gotten to know you. Most of us are really excited about one or two of these four. And you might be here and you might be thinking, okay, I get missions and I get what we're doing here, but I don't get digital. Or maybe you work in tech and you're like, oh, I get digital, that's the way the world's going, but why missions or, or why this one or why that one? And I want to encourage you today, first of all, that's kind of normal 
Because God gives us different gifts and callings. And the one that you're really passionate about and you're like, I get that one, guess what? That's the one you're probably called to serve in. But the beauty is, as we pool our gifts and resources in a vision that's bigger than any one of us, we get to be used in ways that we don't even fully understand. But you might be asking this, you know, honest question, John, why make such an effort? I mean, why send out a million dollars a year to support missionaries around the world? Why try to figure out how to reach people on their phones and their tablets? Why make such an effort with the next generation? I mean, John, we've got a great thing going here. The building's nice. It's heated. It's air conditioned. Can we just kind of like coast? Can we just kind of like chill? And I'm all for resting. Okay, Sabbath is a biblical thing. But you're wondering, you know, why do we do all this? Why do we strain and strive to reach new people? Now, we always look to the Word of God to answer these questions. But before we do that, I want to bring in someone you might not expect to hear from in church. His name is Uncle Buck. Maybe you've seen his movie. And I want you to watch this scene where Uncle Buck, it's a family emergency. He's not a, he's not a family guy. He doesn't like kids. But his brother has a family emergency, and so he has to watch his nephew and his two nieces. He's totally out of his comfort zone. These people aren't like him. It's not his way of life, but he throws himself into trying to connect with them. Go ahead and take a look. I couldn't even get it through the door. <laughs> <laughs> so why is he doing things that he doesn't like? He's doing it to connect with people who aren't like him. And we get to live this out in all our relationships. I've learned that the best parents, the parents who most connect with their kids, they find what their kids are interested in and they choose to get interested in it only out of love for their kid. This has been the case for me and Jack. Jack, my nine-year-old, he's way into alligators and crocodiles. And so Jack and I had this thing that if he could read through the New Testament of the Bible, we would go down to Florida and we'd see alligators and crocodiles in person. Uh, so Jack recently finished the book of Revelation and we went down to Florida to gator land. Why would I do this? Why would I go to Gatorland? I mean, it was fun. It was fine seeing the alligators, but I really wasn't there for the alligators or the crocodiles. I was doing something I didn't necessarily like to connect with someone who isn't like me because I love him. And this is why we make such an effort. We do things we've never done before so that we can reach people we've never reached before. This is how God has used his believers, if we trace back 2,000 years from the life of Jesus until now, as cultures change, and as he sends us into different people who speak different languages or have different values, we have an unchanging message, but we use different methods so that we can connect with people who aren't necessarily like us. And if we really grasp the significance of this great purpose that we've attached ourselves to, that God so loves the world, 
that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for people who look like us and share all our values and, and, and are kind of clones of us. He died for every race and every nationality. He died for every Muslim and for every atheist. And he desires to reach all these people. And if we really fully throw ourselves into that great purpose, which leads to greatness and to the greatest fulfillment, then we will acknowledge that at times we're going to have to do some things we've never done before so that we can reach people we've never reached before. So many examples of this in Scripture. The biggest example is really Jesus himself. If you think about it, Jesus existed in heaven as Almighty God. In heaven, he never experienced hunger or thirst, social rejection. He never experienced pain or suffering, and yet he chose to leave what was comfortable to him and come into a world where he would be mocked, where he would be rejected, where he would eventually be tortured and killed. Why did he do that? Well, he left heaven so that he could make a way for you to be in heaven. He left what was comfortable to him so he could connect you back to God, and as we follow him, there will be times when he calls us to do things that might be uncomfortable for us so that we can reach people who are dear to God and who are loved by God. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you, and I'm so excited for that place. You think about this world that God spent seven days making, and he's been spending 2,000 years working on what we're going to. It's going to be awesome. And we want to take as many people there with us as possible. And right after Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, his disciples started living out what he said. Go to all the nations and make more disciples, teaching them to obey my new way of life. And as his disciples went out into different cultures and different societies, they adapted different methods of communicating the same message that everything that humans seeks is really found in Jesus. One example of this is Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle uh, was a radical skeptic, we learned, a, a few weeks ago, and then Jesus appeared to him and he transformed and he became Paul the Apostle. And as Paul was traveling around, he had a pretty familiar method that was proven, and he did it over and over again. And it's described here in Acts 17, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Silas traveled to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. See, Paul had been raised Jewish. It was very easy for him to speak to other Jewish people because they grew up celebrating all the same holidays. He grew up in a synagogue like they did. And so look at verse 2. It says, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue. So every time Paul as a missionary would go to a new city, he had this routine. Go to the synagogue and, and there talk to people who grew up celebrating the same holidays and look like him and speak his language. And he would then explain in ways that a Jewish person would understand, hey, this Messiah you've all been looking for is Jesus. He's the Christ. You can summarize it this way. Paul had a way of ministry that was familiar and it was working. I mean, it ain't broke, why fix it, you know? It's totally working. He goes to the synagogue, he talks to people who look like him, and they share his local culture. It's working great. And God is going to surprise Paul, we're about to see. God's going to show Paul, hey, what you're doing is great, keep doing it, but guess what, Paul? I love all the world, not just the Jewish people. I love the Jewish people, but I also love the Greeks and the Romans. I love people of every nationality. And so in Acts 17, verse 16, we read this. Paul's actually waiting for some buddies in Athens. He's not there on a mission trip. 
But as he's waiting, he looks around this pagan, non, non-God-honoring city, as far as a Judeo-Christian God, and he's deeply troubled by all the idols that he sees. Why is he deeply troubled, by the way? He's not deeply troubled because he's like, well, I'm right and you're all wrong. Those idols are wrong. He's deeply troubled because he knows those idols are empty. The people who are worshiping those idols, hoping that they will give them eternal life or give them freedom from shame and guilt, those idols have no power to give that. And so Paul's deeply troubled because he knows Jesus is who they're actually looking for. And the story continues, and it says this. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews, right? Well, that's no surprise. Paul did that dozens of times. But now comes a new method. Now comes something different. And he spoke daily in the public square. Well, wait a minute, Paul. We've never done this before. And look at verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. This is not the synagogue. This is a totally pagan temple kind of place where the city council would meet and now he starts this amazing sermon that I'd encourage you to read later today and in the sermon he gives a totally different approach it's a completely different sermon than he was giving in the synagogues and here's a bit of it in verse 23 he says as I was walking along I saw your many shrines and I saw one of your altars that had inscribed on it to an unknown God and then what Paul does is he finds the common ground With Jewish people, the common ground was they were all looking for a Messiah. Well, these people weren't looking for a Messiah. But he notices, hey, you're worshiping this idol to an unknown God. Well, guess what? I'm here to tell you about that unknown God. And Paul meets them where they are. Now, if you're traveling with Paul, you might have this response. You might think, wait a minute. Paul, wait a minute. This isn't the way we've done it before. I mean, Paul, you're not even in a synagogue. This isn't the way we've always done it. You're even quoting pagan poets? I mean, Paul, what's going on? Why are we doing something we've never done before? This is a question you never hear in churches, by the way. (laughs) I kid. Here's the point. This story, Acts 17, you can study it more. It becomes the hinge in Paul's ministry. The majority of us in this room and listening online are not Jewish people. And the reason we know about Jesus and his life-changing hope is because Paul was willing to change his method to connect an unchanging message to other people. If you study the book of Acts, you'll see that after this, Paul realizes, okay, the Jewish people I'm still called to, but I'm also called to what he calls the Gentiles, that is, everyone who's not Jewish. And it's because of this hinge that we have most of the New Testament. The book of Galatians, the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, these were written to non-Jewish churches, all of which happened and scripture happened as a result because Paul was willing to change up his method in order to best convey the message. So our message doesn't change, but our methods do. Our methods do if we're really serious about the purpose that we've attached ourselves to, to make disciples. And I love this about our student ministry team and our kids ministry team. They get it that kids today are growing up in a different world than kids 20 or 30 years ago. And so our message doesn't change, but we want to make sure that young people growing up in our church today understand that Jesus is relevant to their life. We as a church want to be having services that you can invite your unbelieving friends to and they can gather here any weekend 
And they can leave having heard the message of Jesus and his power in a way that they understand. So we do things we've never done to reach people we've never reached. And we do this as individuals. We also do this collectively as a church. Last week, if you were with us, we heard the story of Neely. Here's a picture of Neely in Guatemala. I love Neely's story because it connects some of these four expressions that we have. Really, three of them are embodied in Neely. Neely's a follower of Jesus because she grew up here. She grew up in a church that taught her about Jesus, not only the truths of God's word, but the power of God in our lives and the love of God for all people. So Neely's part of our next generation. I mean, just a few years ago, she was in our high school ministry. Now she's serving as a missionary in Guatemala. So she's hitting the missions expression of our purpose. She's showing that our local church is making disciples who make disciples. She's the next generation. And Neely had a moment where she decided to do something she's never done before, go to Guatemala and live there as a missionary so she could reach people she's never reached before. And she's one of the 26 missionaries we get to support. Neely's out in our lobby today at our global impact display. I'd encourage you to meet her today if you don't know her. We've got other folks from Guatemala there who'd love to meet you. In fact, while you're there, you can learn about 15 mission trips that we have coming up that you can go on in the year 2020. Each of us are called to give and pray and serve, and we're each called in different ways, depending on what God has given us. You know, my calling is primarily here in the United States. Most of us, it is. Most of you, God's going to continue to call you to represent him in your workplace and in your neighborhood and in your family. But our heart is to have the same heart as Neely that says, God, if you call me to Guatemala to tell people about you, I'll do it. If you call me to go to church, but things maybe are a little different than the way I've always done it, I'll do it. I exist to be part of your great mission of connecting people back to you. And so every day I'm going to be praying, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done in this world. Use our church to reach the lost. And consistently I'm going to be serving in some expression of this. It might be serving at the front door, greeting people as they walk in. It might be serving running one of the video cameras or the soundboard. It might be serving in Kid City. But I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to actually be on the team and not just be a fan, but actually be part of the team. Well, we do new things as individuals and as a church. And I want to take you on a, a quick survey of how church methods have changed over 2,000 years. Don't worry, this won't be boring, okay? It's very visual. Here's where churches first began to meet in these catacombs. Uh, you know, churches didn't have buildings for the first 100 or so years. They would meet in homes. Acts chapter 2 describes that. And then persecution broke out under Nero against the Christians, and so Christians had to worship in hiding. So these catacombs were actually underneath the city. They were underground cemeteries. And the Christians would gather in here to sing hymns about Jesus and to take the Lord's Supper and to hear the word of God read and explained to them. Well, in time, the culture changed, and Christians actually were able to worship God openly. And so eventually they said, why are we meeting in a cemetery? We now can, you know, do our own thing. We're not persecuted anymore. And in time, those Christians actually mimicked the structure of the catacombs and built these huge stone cathedrals where they could have this beautiful stained glass images of Jesus on the cross and, and of the saints who've gone before us who we look to as examples. And in time, other Christians, as, as that method was going, 
felt like it got a little bit stale. They felt like it got to be just kind of a routine and it didn't have the power anymore. And so there was this time called the Protestant Reformation when Bible-believing followers of Jesus said, hey, we want to do what the book says. And the book doesn't say we have to meet in a big cathedral, but it says we're supposed to be doing these different things we're not doing. So we're going to go out and kind of start over. And as they started over, they met in homes again. And then as they built and grew, they started to build these rural churches. Here's an example of a rural church here in the United States. These were so common. If you read through history, people like the Reverend John Harvard, who helped found Harvard University. Uh, there's writings of his which say, once we crossed the Atlantic and got to the new world, here was our priorities. Build a house so we don't freeze to death. Build a house of God where we can worship him. Build schools and then build a university so we can train the next generation of pastors. And so these rural churches, you still see them all around the United States. And what happened in many cities is a rural area would start to grow and become a city. So it's not uncommon in any big city around the United States to find a church street where that initial church that was the center of the town still is, and now there's a church street in almost every major downtown in the United States. But as society changes, methods have to change to adapt so we can communicate the unchanging message. And the Industrial Revolution is a great example of this because when the Industrial Revolution took place, you had thousands of farm boys who had grown up in rural churches and now they all went into the big industrial cities, Cleveland and Indianapolis and Detroit and Pittsburgh, and they're all working in these big downtowns and there's not really enough churches for them. And by the way, they're kind of just living wild because they're making a bunch of money and they're away from mom and dad and kids don't do that anymore, but they used to. <laughs> and so believers at the time had this vision, how do we reach people where they are? And so that's where the YMCA, which is the Young Men's Christian Association, the Salvation Army. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to hear from the president of the Moody Bible Institute. There was a guy named D.L. Moody who started a ministry in Chicago. And they said, we have an unchanging message, but we're going to figure out a method that gets it to all these young factory workers in the big cities. Well, after World War II, the suburbs as we know them exploded. Farmland around these big cities started turning into housing developments. And we now live in one such suburb that was a farm community, is now a suburb of a metro area. And a new method was devised for communicating this unchanging message. And this method is, we call it the American megachurch. None of these methods are perfect, but this is the one we inherit. This is the one that we're in today, and it's a method that's still working. And you know what? By the way, we are here because this church, which was a rural church, was willing to try something new to reach people who weren't like them. You know, 25 years ago, this church didn't have this building. 20 years ago, it didn't. They were meeting in, in what is downtown in a much smaller facility, and the leaders and the people said, we're willing to do things we've never done before so that we can reach people we've never reached before. And they built this megachurch facility. And now thousands of people here in Brownsburg and around the world know Jesus because they were willing to say, we have an unchanging message. And it's so important that we're willing to change our methods to reach more people. So we are changing lives and we're changing the world in these four primary ways. Let's look at them again. Our model right here, which is working and we're fully committed to. 
the next generation like Neely who were raising up, the missionaries were supporting around the world, and this brand new expression called digital, which maybe you've heard of, maybe you've been like, I don't get that, I don't understand that. All digital is, is a new expression of missions. And it doesn't compete with any of our other expressions, it complements. As society rapidly changes, we remain committed to this facility and this method. What we do here on a weekend, all the ministries of this local church, we're completely committed to. And just like Paul said, I'm going to keep going to Jewish synagogues, but I'll also figure out how to talk to Gentiles. We say we're going to keep doing what we're doing here, but we're also going to figure out how do we meet people who wouldn't walk into a church or who geographically live too far away from our church, but they've got a phone or a tablet and they're searching for God in their lives. Well, let me give you a look at how the world has changed and why we've chosen to add this additional expression of our unchanging purpose. Here's the largest companies in the world in 1998. You see General Electric at the top, Shell Oil, Microsoft, Exxon, Coca-Cola. Look at the six largest companies in the world today. And by the way, I've highlighted the ones that are tech companies, the ones that are changing the way we live. Just like the Industrial Revolution, it changed an economy and a way of life. We are living in a technological revolution, a digital revolution that is changing the way people live. That's why the largest companies in the world today are all tech companies, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook. You might say, what's that Berkshire? That's not a tech company. Well, that's Warren Buffett's investment company. And the reason it's in the top six is that it's the largest shareholder of the same tech companies. So, I mean, the world has radically changed in our life. And now most of our neighbors, they're doing their banking on here. They're getting their mortgages on here. They're finding their identity on here. And as they get even less comfortable talking with people face-to-face, -face, because I can get my groceries and everything else on here, why do I have to actually deal with a human? We want to make sure that they can find Jesus on here just as easily as they can find their groceries. Let's take a look at digital around the world. Right now, there's 7.6 billion people in the world. Did you know that 5 billion of them have a mobile phone? So five out of seven people in the world today, and it's crazy, if you go on one of our mission trips, you'll see this in India, in Africa, in Haiti. You go to remote places, you will be shocked at the number of people who have mobile phones. A little over half of the people in the world are connected to the internet today. The average American adult now spends 11 hours per day consuming media. I still doubt the validity of that statistic, but it comes from Nielsen, which is like the people who measure that stuff. So I have to trust them. 11 hours, and that's combining TV, radio, all of your internet connected devices combined. That's where the average American is spending most of their waking hours. So the reality is in the last 20 years, the world has radically changed. I mean, this reality that five out of seven people have a cell phone in the world, that wasn't true 20 years ago. This reality that more than half the world is connected to the internet, that wasn't true 10 years ago. The, the landscape has radically changed. And so if our mission is to connect people to Jesus, and this is happening in our lifetime, then we can have a moment kind of like Paul did in Athens where he says, okay, I'm gonna keep going to Jewish synagogues and doing what works, but... I'm also going to be aware of what's happening in the world and connect these people to Jesus as well. Well, you might be wondering, okay, John, that's all great, I agree, but can we actually reach people 
in this new digital mission field? I mean, John, I get it. That's a great vision. Wow, five out of seven people. I get it. I do a lot of stuff on my phone too. But really, how would we as a church in Brownsburg, Indiana, actually, you know, compete in a marketplace with YouTube and Skype and everything else that's going on? Can we actually do this? The answer to that is that we already are. We today have 23, we have viewers in 23 countries around the world. Can you believe that? I mean, this is stuff we've just started in the last year. This message will be viewed by our regular viewers in 23 countries around the world. Can you imagine what it would cost for us to train and send 23 new missionaries? Now, we're committed to continuing to do that, but if we can, for pennies on the dollar, additionally reach people through digital, why not? But it's not just numbers. There's amazing numbers of people who are watching our messages and connecting with God that way. But it's real people whose lives are changing. And it actually starts right here in Brownsburg. Some of you might remember the story of Josh the barista. Uh, here's Josh recently at one of our services. I met Josh when I was driving through the Starbucks drive through line, picking up my coffee. And he said, hey, aren't you the pastor at Connection Point? And I said, yes, I am. What service do you come to? He said, I don't go to service. He said, I'm legally blind, so I haven't been to church in years, I can't drive. He said, but my neighbor told me about your guys' online live stream, and I watch your messages every Sunday. Well, Josh, since then, now he actually lives pretty close. You'll see him walking here sometimes. I always offer to give him a ride. He says, I just like to walk. And Josh is now here in our congregation, and when he's not here physically, he's watching online. He's a person in Brownsburg who we wouldn't have reached if we didn't have an online presence. But it's not just Brownsburg. In Chicago, Grace is a recent college graduate, and for a while, Grace was that national statistic of two out of three people raised in Christian homes who are drifting away from the faith. And Grace tells us that when she was in college, she did kind of lose track of her faith. But she graduated college, she got a job in Chicago, and she thought, I think I want to re-engage with God. And Grace started checking out churches around her, and she just couldn't find one where she felt comfortable or where she felt like the Word of God was applying to her life. And then she heard about our online service. And Grace now watches our 1115 live stream every week. In fact, uh, she's starting a little small group there in her apartment, getting some friends together. Here's a picture from Madrid, Spain. This is Lydia, who grew up in our church as part of our student ministry, was trained to be a follower of Christ, and she's a foreign exchange student in Spain this semester. And she's got with her these roommates from the United States, and Lydia, every Sunday, watches our message online. And her roommates started watching with her. And so she thought when we talked about, hey, you can start a small group even if you're watching online, hey, let's start a small group with my roommates in Spain. Isn't that the coolest thing? I just love it. I love how God's working. Let me give you a little picture of some of the comments that our digital team, and by the way, we have a digital booth in the lobby as well, so you can go out there and learn about our missions, learn about what we're doing in Brownsburg and in the surrounding area, and you can learn about digital, and you can join any one of these teams to serve. Well, we have online hosts who every week type and chat with our online viewers. Here's a couple of the recent comments from online viewers. One said this, connection point has renewed my faith after some time away. I just love seeing that. This is stuff we weren't doing a year and a half ago. This is brand new stuff. This one brought me to tears the first time I read it. You helped us stop blaming God for the loss of our son. You did that. You guys as a church, being willing to try something new. Here's a real person, a real couple 
who went through tragedy and thought, God's against us, we can't trust God, and because of your commitment, because of what we're doing, this person now sees God's not against you, he's for you. I wanna show you the story of one of our online viewers from Ohio, her name is Amy. Go ahead and take a look. My name is Amy Russell. I am from Troy, Ohio. I was raised in the First Presbyterian Church in Sydney, Ohio, and at age 18, I lost my mother to lymphoid cancer. When, when it finally got diagnosed that she was gonna die, I couldn't accept it. And let's face it, I hated God. I hated him for taking my mom. I still had too many unanswered questions I needed more advice. I needed, you know, more guidance. Everybody else had their mom. I didn't have a mother. So no sooner did my mother die, I moved out of the house, refused to go back to the church, and went through life moving from drugs, from alcohol. Still wasn't back with my faith or anything. Tried to get back to it a few times and just couldn't do it. And then two years ago, my best friend found out she had terminal gallbladder cancer. She lived here in Brownsburg, and I met Kim Lucas. So I started coming down to Kim's house, which is only four houses away from my best friend. And we were up in her sewing room, and we just started having conversations. And each time we'd have a conversation, she was like, well, you're here in town for the weekend. She said, come check us out at Connection Point. That's all she would do. She wouldn't push, she wouldn't shove. And eventually, I went one Sunday. It didn't matter that they didn't know who I was, but I felt like I was welcomed the instant I walked through that door and the feeling was so overwhelming that I wanted to go back. Because of living in Ohio, you know, I couldn't. And then Kim had always talked to me about the online ministry as I was then not coming back over. I was only coming over for visits every six weeks or so. So about a year ago after losing Cindy, um, everybody knows over home in Ohio that my phone is turned off at 11.15 every Sunday and that I am sitting there with my tablet streaming and watching the sermons that are on that week and nobody bothers me. <laughs> So the online ministry has helped me stay in touch with Connection Point. The next step was Kim kept saying, well, are you ready to get baptized? Are you ready to get baptized? So on June 23rd, I believe it was of this year, I had my best friend from Ohio, Marge Gaskell, come with me. And Kim and Marge then baptized me and uh, was baptized and surrendered to uh, Jesus. And things are starting to get brighter. Uh, things are starting to get clearer. Uh, the weight is starting to lift off my shoulders. If you would be talking to me two years ago, three years ago, I would have told you then that I would never have gone back to church. I was done with it all. I was really done with it all. No matter what, you can always come home doors always open. Yeah. To God be the glory. He's changing lives. 
today, and I want to say thank you to you for serving, for praying, for giving. Every one of us is doing our part, and I could do my part, but I'd be speaking to an empty room, and people like Amy wouldn't be hearing if you weren't doing your part. Kim did her part. Wasn't that inspiring? I mean, Kim had a friend going through cancer, and she had eyes to see, even as I'm walking with a friend through cancer, God is going to use me to minister to other people. Just such a beautiful story. And by the way, if you're here and you feel like Amy felt, like God is against you, like he's not for you, I just cannot encourage you enough. Keep gathering here. Keep watching online because God's not the author of pain and evil. God's not the one who sends death into our lives. He came into this world to redeem us and to rescue us from all that's broken. So don't turn away from him when you most need him. Instead, turn to him. And that's why we exist as a movement, is to connect the Amy's of the world back to the God who loves them and who even was willing to die for them. We do things we've never done before so that we can reach people we've never reached before. And I wanna ask you, are you on the team? Are you praying regularly for God to work through this ministry? Are you contributing at any level financially? Are you serving in any way? And if you are, way to go, keep it up. And if you're not yet, then the Spirit of God may be prompting you in this series to say, you know what, I need to actually start praying every day for God to work through my church. I need to start actually contributing at some level. If I can contribute to Netflix and to Amazon and to my insurance company and to my cell phone provider, I can at least do something. Or maybe it's serving. And you say, I'm not going to be going to Guatemala anytime soon, but I can hold the front door while people like Amy walk in so that they get a smile and know that they are loved. How can you be a change maker? It's in those three primary ways. Well, if you guys would stand with me. I would love to, again, have us unite together. And like I said last week, if you're an introvert, feel free to put your hands in your pockets. I get that. But if you're not an introvert, would you take your neighbor's hand and just let's just show our solidarity as a movement that we're a family, we're a body, and we're here and collectively, this is our prayer to the God of heaven who sees us and who's working in us today. Go ahead and close your eyes and just pray along with me. Father, we gather as your body today acknowledging that Jesus is our leader. You are the head of our church. Lord, we praise you for Amy in Ohio and how you have transformed her life. We praise you for Grace in Chicago, for Lydia in Spain, for regular viewers in 23 countries, for thousands of people here every weekend, for 26 missionaries we get to support. God, we acknowledge that we are the wealthiest Christians in all of world history. Even those of us who might not feel rich in this world, compared to an average believer, you've given us so much. And we just acknowledge that we will continue to prioritize you in our lives. And so, Lord, this is our prayer. Would you use our church to glorify yourself? Would you use our church to lift Jesus high? Would you unleash your spirit, Lord, in our hearts and in our families? Unleash your spirit in this building and in this community and through this body of believers. Lord, would you use us to transform countless thousands 
of individuals and countless thousands of families where entire family units are transformed and legacies, family legacies changed. Lord, will you bring many to salvation, bring many to freedom. Do this for your glory. Do this for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.